Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. David, one of the pastors here. For those of you who don't know me, um, it's been a while since I've been up here to get to preach. I'm pretty excited, except for um, I went to the Cardinals game Friday and Saturday, and my voice is about gone because they can't hit anymore now that it's postseason, and I'm not real thrilled. And I told my wife, I was like, last night, I go, I yelled way too much Friday. I'm not going to yell because i got to preach tomorrow. Well, here we are, guys, and they're not playing today. So you will see me drinking some water throughout it. But we have a lot to cover and a lot to kind of catch up on what's happened and what's happening so we can tie it all together because we're right there at the end of Revelation. Like really, like this is, this is it. After this chapter, there is no more sin. It's gone. It's done. And that's an amazing thing. But let me pray for us and then we're going to dive in. God, I just ask you now that you'll give me clarity of speech and thought. Lord, that everything that I say will just be centered around you, Jesus, that we will make much of you that each and every person in this room, everyone watching online, God, that our hearts and our minds and our ears will be open to hear what you have to say to us. And God, that we'll be transformed more and more into the likeness of your son because of it. Father, I just pray that we glorify you in the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so chapter 20 starts off really, really interesting. But we have to catch up a little bit to chapter, from chapter 19. Corey had a ton to cover last week, and no way he could get to all of it. But what we saw that Corey is able to cover was that we had the marriage supper of the Lamb. So the marriage of Christ, Jesus, and his church, his believers, his bride has been consummated. We've had this dinner, this meal, greater than any meal that we could ever think of. It has happened now. The marriage is done. We are with him But what has also happened is that there is absolute war and everyone who was not of God has basically been wiped out. And the beast and the false prophet, two-thirds of this unholy trinity, have been thrown into a lake of fire. So that's important to note. But when we get to chapter 20 now, what John sees is he sees an angel coming down from heaven. He's holding in his hand a key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seizes the dragon, which is Satan, and he bounds him and he throws him into this pit for a thousand years. Now we can go ahead and just get this out of the way. Whether it's a literal thousand years or not a literal thousand years, it really makes no difference. What we do know is that God is sovereign over evil and he sends an angel to take care of business and he does. And eventually he gets let out. And we'll cover all that, but regardless of if it's a day or a literal thousand years, does not matter. Jesus is sovereign. So he sees this happening. Satan's sealed up. It's over him. He cannot deceive any nations any longer. He's, he's done. So in this time, like I said, a day or a literal thousand years, there's no sin. There's no deceit. There's nothing going on that's bad because what else John sees, he sees these thrones coming down. And seated on them, in verse 4, are those who have the authority to judge was committed. 
So they're there. These judges on these thrones are most likely the 12 apostles and then the 12 tribes of Israel is the lead of each tribe. That's most likely, we've seen that in other places throughout Revelation that was all building up to this. So that most likely would be who they are. These men, these elders who are God's chosen to sit there in that spot. So during this, he's also seeing other people. He goes in verse 4, second part, Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or on their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So we have three groups of people basically here that are reigning now with Christ during this thousand years. It's really important to see this and to kind of note it. First, we have those 24 or so elders, the judges on these thrones, the 12 apostles and the 12 tribes of Israel leaders, they're there. But then we also see people who have been martyred for their faith, people who had lost their lives because they took a stand and would not waver. They're there with the Lord now, getting all the glory that they died for. This is it. This is what they were living for, and this is what they get now. But we also see people who never worshiped the beast, never received the mark of the beast. Now, what I want to note, and I think is really interesting, and we need to like know this, is that there are some of these people who had never died a death. There's people who are going to reign with Christ during this time who never physically died a death. If Jesus came back right now, all of us would have never died. So we will get a glorified body, but we will have never died the first death. It's really important for us to note that and just to kind of pin that thought because as we break this down, it's really that it matters. Because when Jesus came back and in chapter 19, this marriage supper of the Lamb happens, there were believers who were alive. They're, they're there. Like they're, they don't die and then get to go be with Jesus. Like they just, they never had a physical, a physical death, which is an amazing thing. But it's super important to know that this Jesus who came down and saved them. I mean, I'm talking this Jesus is not the Jesus who came the first time. This is Jesus, thigh tattoo, sword coming out of his mouth, like wiping people out. This, this Jesus came and he, he rescued them up. He said, okay, I'm bringing everybody who's died before you. And now I got you. And here, here we go. It's, we're going to, this thing's getting ready to happen. Like it's time. And so we have that. Now, the other thing we need to notice in, in, in all this is that Satan, though he's in the pit, back in chapter 19, the beast and the false prophet, they've been already banished to hell. It says back in 19 in verse uh, 20, that these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And then the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, which is Jesus. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. That's all the unbelievers. They're wiped out. The text here says they don't come back to life until the end of this millennial reign. So they're just kind of waiting right now. They're in, I'm, I'm, my assumption would be they're in some sort of hell leading up to their eternity in hell. The dead that are not in Christ... They're waiting, is what the text tells us here. The rest of the dead, verse 5, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. So we have two-thirds of the unholy trinity, they're in hell. You have all those not in Christ somewhere 
not in hell. They're, they're not with God. We know that much, most likely in hell. Then you have all believers from all generations reigning now with Jesus. There's no sin. There's nothing bad. Satan is bound. He can't deceive anyone. He can't cause anyone to sin anymore. And then he gets let out. He gets let out. I can't understand this. I don't get it except for, well, I didn't. I, I think I, I do better now after studying this. But after a thousand years are ended, Satan will be released. And he comes out and he deceives the nations that are at the four corners of the earth. So he's just saying, everyone's getting deceived. And the reason that Gog and Magog is mentioned is because it's a reference back to Ezekiel 38 and 39. So if, you, if you're a note taker, you write that down, you can go read all about it. God, and why that's important to note is this, is that God is going to keep his word from the first page in Genesis to the last, last page in Revelation. He is sovereign. He's in control. His will will happen. There is nothing that's going to stop it, and he is in control. He's got this. And so if he said it back in Ezekiel, thousands and thousands and thousands of years before, it will play out. And that's what we have happening right here. So Satan has gathered this army. It's a lot of people, a lot of people, so many that you can't number them. It's like the sand of the sea, the text says. That's really loud into that microphone. I'm sorry. A bottle of water was much quieter last service. So their number is like the sea. Here's what we know. The dead in, that were not in Christ, they've been resurrected there with Satan now. But the reason I said it was important to note that some people did not, who never died or with Jesus, uh, and this gets confusing. I want you to track with me because I try to explain this to my wife and she's like, David, you're not making any sense. So... <laughs> Satan is gathering his army. You have the dead who got wiped out. There are people, children, maybe adults, who have been born during that thousand-year reign. Because if you got resurrected right now, Jesus came back, there's an activity that you can still do. And it's going to be great. And you can reproduce. Now, here's the sad thing for you. If you die now, that activity doesn't happen in heaven. Pretty sure. Pretty sure from my text, bum me out too. But here we are, right? So there's these children, maybe adults at this point, who have been born during that thousand-year reign. Satan shows up. He deceives some of them. This blew my mind as I thought through it. I'm like, how? How did this deceive them? All they would know is Jesus. All they would know is this shalom, peace, like there's nothing bad going on. How in the world did they get deceived? Where did they come from? And man, like he, he does though. And we just, I want, we're going to get back to that, but it blew my mind because we would think, well, that would never be me. But maybe, and we'll talk about it way more, but that's what happened. So he's gathered this army and he's going to go to war now, but it doesn't go well. Fire comes down. They've, they've circled the camp of the saints, the beloved city, which is probably Jerusalem. They've circled this city, and they are consumed with fire from heaven. Now, when it says consumed, they're not just annihilated. They're not gone. They don't exist anymore. That's not what happens. They're just defeated. They're utterly defeated. There's no more chance for them. And it says that the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. But everyone who he gathered up, whether they had died 
previous to this or he's deceived them because they were born during that reign, now, now stuff gets real. It gets really real because John in verse 11 sees this great white throne come down and him who is seated on it. He's talking about Jesus. This, Jesus left his throne once to come down to save us, to be born of a virgin. Now he's sitting on the throne. He's going to judge. He's, he's already given everyone an opportunity. He said, hey, come to me all who are heavy laden, weary. I'll give you rest. Ask for forgiveness. I'll give it to you. Repent. It's yours. Here's my grace. Those days are gone. There's no second chance. That comes, see this great white throne comes down. And from his presence, earth and sky fled away. There's nowhere left to hide. You can't tuck away. Like you, you get on to one of your kids and, and or they know that you're coming into the room because they just, something just broke and you heard it from the other room and, and you see them and like they're hid and you can see their feet underneath the curtain. You're like, dude, I see you. Just come on, just come face your punishment. There's nothing left. It's just them and God. They're standing there and they've got to deal with this. Believers from all generations, unbelievers from all generations, Everyone standing there in front of this great white throne in front of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I thought during the first service during worship about Philippians 2, 9 and 10, because it says that every knee will bow before the name of Jesus. Every knee. They're all going to bow, and this is it. They're bowing. It just depends on how it's going to go for them. I thought about it this way, how I pictured in my mind the staff and all of our spouses, we went to Colorado this week to a conference uh, for Acts 29. And so we, you know, we traveled Friday, or, or Monday to get there, and it's pretty smooth. We had to get up like at the crack of, it wasn't even dawn, I shouldn't say the crack of dawn. It was, it was still night. It was like 3 in the morning we'd get up. We had to get an Uber at 3.45. It was, it was miserable. But when we were heading to the airport, I, I don't even know who it was, who texted and said, the TSA security line is forever long. And so then I was preparing the sermon, and I, and I saw it, too, when I got there, because we're getting through security. It's my, me and my wife, and then Jeff, and, and Whitney, and, and they go, this one girl goes, go, go to the right. And I'm like, okay, because I didn't know. She seemed really confident. So like, I'm going to follow your lead. Thank God we did, because that security line was super short, and we could see the other one downstairs, and it was like, it looked horribly long. And so we didn't go through that. But what I pictured, all these people standing before this great white throne is like everyone just standing before God, like a TSA security line, like, are you going to get through to heaven or not? It's just way more efficient, and you don't have to take off your shoes. So, like, you just go through. I don't think he's patting you down or anything. He doesn't need to. You just get on through. And so that's how I pictured this. I was like, kind of makes sense. It's like a security check. Are you getting in or are you getting not? But he doesn't need to scan you because there's these books. John writes, I saw the dead, great and small. So everybody, there's no one that's getting by. No one gets a free pass standing before the throne and, and books were opened. So multiple books were opened. And then another book, one book was opened, which is the book of life. So there's a difference here. There's books that have everyone's deeds in it. Everything you've done, thought, didn't do, that you should have done, it's all right there. And then there's a book of life. And we're going we're gonna to wrap that up but what it, and talk about it. But what, what it is is this, is that if you're judged by the books, you're getting judged by you. What you've done, 
how bad you are, how good you are, and you can see like, well, man, I hope the scales balance out. It doesn't work that way. We'll talk about it. But if you're in the book of life, John Piper describes it this way. I like this. They imagine a teacher with a filing cabinet. It's got all your grades in it, and they pull out your file, and, and they, here's a stack of Fs, a stack of Ds, a stack of Cs, a stack of Bs, and then everything that's not 100%, even like the A minuses, or just an A. Like it's, they're all right there. And he just wipes it away, thrown away to a furnace. It's gone. And then he just takes all of Jesus's A++ pluses, like from AP classes, and just piles them on you, right? Like, and, and it's there. He said, now, you pass. You pass. You, you, you get to go on through. That's what happens. So, but those who aren't written in that book of life, this is a time of reckoning. This is a time to answer for all that they've done and why they rejected the Lord and his grace for their whole life. It's there. This is it. And they're judged on their own works, and eternal death is all that awaits them for all that they've done, good or bad. Verse 15, it tells us that they'll be thrown into the lake of fire, which is where Satan and the beast and the false prophet are for forever. So that means there's no difference for them. Okay, like if they are going to hell, because their name is not in the book of life, they're going there for forever. Now, I will say this. Maybe there's different levels of hell. Maybe it's, I'm not like making a solid statement saying that. Maybe hell won't be as bad for just some dude from down the road. Maybe it'd be worse for Hitler. I don't know. But I can promise you this, that if it's, thrown into a lake of fire, whatever that is an illustration for that John is trying to get through to us, it will not be fun. It will not be a cakewalk. It will be miserable because all of God's common grace has been removed. So if you're sitting in this room, you're watching online, you're thinking, well, I'm not a Christian. I, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence, whatever. You still are experiencing God's common grace. The fact that you are living, breathing, eating, doing all that you do, that, you, that your heart's pumping. If you are in hell. You're removed from the presence of God. He is not there. His grace is not there in any means at all. It will be miserable. And so hopefully you grasp what is taking place, that we need more than just knowledge. We need God's word to penetrate our hearts, our minds, our souls, and change us, change us into followers of Christ, into sons and daughters adopted into his family so that our name is in the book life, not worried about these deeds that we've done. So here, we're going to break this down with just three points then that I really want you to walk away with today. First one is this, is Jesus is sovereign over all for all of eternity. If we're honest with ourselves, we all have control idols to some extent. Mine, off the charts, okay? Like, I know that some of you are type B and you don't have a control idol except when something that you're really particular about gets shaken just a little bit, right? So when we're honest about that, we look around then and we see things that are a mess and we don't like it. Like we were in Colorado walking downtown Denver. The homelessness was insane. I've never seen that many homeless people in my life. Straight up just cooking drugs right there on the sidewalk. And I'm like, where are the cops? What are they doing? I could do a better job at organizing this and taking care of the city than they're doing, obviously. I look around at different things that people do and I'm like, 
what are you doing? That's dumb. I would do this. We have control idols. We want to be in control. If you start them, if someone goes into my whole garage is a gym, okay, from wall to wall, and I am like so particular over like where the weights are stacked and which barbell is on which level of the of the barbell rack, like I have a control idol. So if you showed up and you worked out and you like put the wrong barbell here, I'd be like. I'd walk, I've noticed it to me, like, oh my gosh, what happened? I'd be switching barbells around, like, I, I can't do it. The, all the heads of the dumbbells got to be facing up. It's, I'm nuts, all right? Like, I get it. But, like, I have this control idol. And so when I look at the, the wickedness and the evil in this world, sometimes I think, God, what are you doing? You could stop it. You could stop it all right now. And so when I read this text, there's two things about his sovereignty that really stand out to me. One, I don't understand quite why he let Satan out at first, until I read more into it and understood, like, he's showing that no matter what, our inclination is to sin, is to, just to go to the flesh. That's why he's like, I'm going to show you one last time why this has to happen, because you guys, no matter what, will turn to evil if I've not put my spirit in you. But also, there's something so cool that we can notice in this, is that who bounds Satan up and throws him in this pit? It's an angel, an unnamed angel. That's a big deal. And here's why. There's three archangels, Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer, which is Satan. So whatever angel God sent to go bound Satan and throw him in this pit, he was probably a subordinate to Lucifer at one point. He has given this angel the sovereign power to go and to grab Satan, who is more powerful than we will ever give him credit for. He's not God, but he is definitely powerful. And this angel shows up, grabs him up like a, I, I, I don't know, I'm picturing like a, just grabbing him like by the tail because it says he's a dragon, like bound him with his chain, thrown him in a pit, seals it up. He can do that. And what we need to realize in our own life then is this, is that God has blessed us with his spirit living inside of us. He is sovereign. He is over all things. It, he tells us that in the Great Commission, he has all authority and power in heaven and on earth. Like, we need to live like that. We need to live like that. If he's that sovereign, that he has a purpose for our lives and a plan for all things for all times, then we need to go and live it out and execute it because so often we like, man, I can't do that. I'm not capable of that. This world is a mess. I don't know. I'm, I'm not a control freak like you, David, and I'm not going to mess with it. I'm not going to try to make a difference. Well, you could because God will use you. He's sovereign. The only reason an angel could do what he did is because it was God's will. And so everything that he calls us to do, if it is his will, it will be accomplished. But our control idol says, yeah, but it's not the way I would do it. So I don't know if I'm going to do it. So for us, we just need to focus, say, okay, God is sovereign. He's got this. And I'm going to do this. And some of you might be thinking, you know what? You're right. I've been living my life like kind of on the fence. Like I don't, I don't really believe that God could use me. And you get pumped up and you hear a sermon. Maybe not this one because I can barely talk. But you're like, yeah, I'm going to go. This is great. But then what happens is it falls off and it kind of falters out. I call it the camp effect. It leads me to my next point. So easily deceived. We're easily deceived. I see it all the time. When I was a youth pastor for four years, you, you would take kids to camp, and it's great. There's no cell phones. 
there's no distractions, there's no TVs, there's no video games. The most you got to worry about is that camp boyfriend or girlfriend they're trying to get. That's it. And you're like, hey, you do realize they live like five hours away. You're never going to see them again, right? Like you don't need to, and they're like, oh, but I love them, yeah, right? Like, so, you know, you're, 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 that's it. Like they're focused on God. Like there's, there's quiet time, and there's sermons, there's worship, and there's discipleship and devotion. It's great. And I would see it every year. Kids would come back on fire, like, I gave my life to Christ, or I did this. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Sunday morning would come for church. You know, we got back on Friday, and most of them would be there. By Wednesday, for like youth night, 90%. A week later, it dropped. Two weeks later. And then some of those kids I just would never see again until like next May. And they're like, hey, it's time to sign up for camp, right? I had so much fun. I want to go see my girlfriend. <laughs> like... It's the camp effect. We get so pumped up. We're like, yes, I'm there. I'm in. And then we get deceived by Satan. We get distracted. And these people who would have been born during that thousand-year reign, like, think about it. It's all they've known is Jesus. That's it. And then they show up, to, or Satan shows up, and, and they're just taken away, really to their destruction. And it's crazy because we think, well, that would never be me. It might. We're always so cocky to think, well, I would never do that. But think about Adam and Eve. All they knew was God, walking with him in the garden, in his presence, just dwelling on his goodness every day, and they just don't eat of that tree. And we would think, dude, there's so many other fruit. Why did they, they do it? I would have never done that. You would have. You would have done it. You would have caved. You would have ate it. And when we look at the Israelites, and, and we walk through a whole sermon series back in was it 2020 or whatever? And as lest we turn and we saw the Israelites, like they would get so many blessings from God taken into the promised land and all the things would go right. And then they would just turn away to an idol. And you're like, well, how could you do that? Why would you do that? You had everything. God was providing everything for you. And yet you're deceived. But it's what we do. We'll run so hard and do so well in missional community and, and just living our lives for God and, and being obedient and our spiritual disciplines are locked in and then something happens. It's handshake time and you went to shake someone's hand and they turned before they saw you and then you're mad and you're all hurt and you're like, I didn't shake my hand. I'm never going back to that church. And then you don't go to missional community and you're all, for real, like you, have, you laugh. Like that's how stuff happens, right? Like it happens all the time or someone rubs you the wrong way in missional community because they know you hate mushrooms and they put mushrooms in the dish they brought anyway and you're like, that's stupid, I'm done. Because <laughs> Satan gets in your head and deceives you. And you think, I'm just... I'm out of here. It is. I hate mushrooms. I hate them. That person quit my MC though, so whatever. <laughs> I just don't understand it. They're slimy and gross looking. It's just, I don't know. I can't, cannot figure it out. But if you're getting deceived, here's the deal. If you're a believer, it's just that momentary glance. We saw it in Revelation 17. John sees this, the prostitute, and Corey preached on it, and there's like this glance, and then the angel's like, hey, hey, focus back over here. Why are you marveling? It's a momentary thing, because the text tells us that anyone who marveled at the beast, anyone who worshiped the beast, their name's not written in the book of life. And so I was like, okay, well, John marveled, but there had, there's a difference here, and it's because he didn't worship. He didn't get like so sucked in, so focused, because that angel's like, hey, get back, get back over here. And he was like so confused. He starts trying to worship the angel. And he's like, no, you're not worshiping me. Just worship 
God. That's it. That's why we're in Christian community. Who tells you, hey, focus. I'm watching you. Like you're losing it. You're, you're tracking over here. You're, you're not where you need to be. You were doing so good, and now you're over here, and, you're, and your eyes are off the cross. Your eyes are on your job or this or this new thing you want to chase that's like shiny and got your attention. Your eyes are gone. You're, you're just missing it. It's like you're in a trance, and you got to snap out of it. It's why Christian community, it's why we talk about missional community so much. It's because you got to have those people in your life. You have to, to snap us out of it because we are so easily deceived. Like, we think that we're not, and we think that we, I would never do that. But we will. We do. So we got to know that we're a believer. Because if you're a believer, if you, the, the Holy Spirit is in you, your name is written in the book of life, you might glance over. You might got tricked for a second, but you're going to refocus. You're going to get back on because God has sealed you in. So then it gets us to this judgment time. And if we're a believer, it's good, but here's the deal. We'll either be judged by Jesus or we'll be judged in Jesus. I'm going to get a drink of water and then you guys get to laugh at me with the story. My senior year of high school, as I was signing up for it, we had block scheduling at Collinsville. So we had, I think, I don't know, three or four classes one day. And then the next day it was like a different couple classes. And uh, it was great. I loved it. And then my senior year, they had this thing called co-op where you could work a job half the day, get credits for doing it, and then you didn't have to go to class. That was right up my, that was like, that, 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 that's my jam, sweet. And so, but I had wrestling practice every day after school, and I couldn't leave, and so they always would have someone work in the school office, and they would run, like, summon slips and sort mail. So here was the deal. My senior year, I was basically getting paid to run through the school, taking summon slips, wearing sweats to lose weight. I'd never been paid to lose weight before. It was great. I had to make weight for wrestling, and now they're paying me to do it. So I loved it. It was awesome. And here's the deal. My whole life, I've been spoiled, just rotten. I'm horrible. Like, you guys should pray for my wife. And Aaron, shaking your head, yes, she knows. I, I, am, I am difficult. And it's my grandma's fault. She was here in the last service, and I called her out. It's my, it's my grandma's fault. She spoiled me. And old women have all, just always spoiled me. They love me. I don't know. I'm a magnet for older women. So I'm joking, joking, joking. But they spoil me, for real, okay? So my senior year of high school, I'm in this co-op. I'm working in the office, and it's, it's some semester ends. And my guidance counselor goes, hey, you're half credit short of graduating at the end of the year. I'm like, excuse me? Come again? Like, yeah, you're going you're gonna to be half credit short. I was like, no, what do I got to do? He's like, we're going to have to work in the office one less hour so that you can go take a class. I was like, sign me up for P. Like, I'm not taking any other classes. Sign me up for P. Like, that's, that's my jam there. I can do that. And so he's like, okay. Well, those old women, the secretaries in the office, caught wind of this. And they're like, what's happening? I go, well, I'm going to be in here one less hour because i got to go get a half credit so I can graduate on time. And they're like, uh-uh. Why are you half credit short? And I go, well, I don't know. And they're like looking through my grades and like, you failed freshman biology. I was like, so? Like, <laughs> that's why you're half credit short, because you failed freshman biology. I was like, well, I hated biology, so it is what it is. And they're like, who's your teacher? And they scan. I won't say the person's name. I think they still teach there. I don't want to get them in any trouble. They call this lady down to the office, and they said, hey, he got an F. 
And like, she's like, yeah. No, we're going to need you to change that grade. And they changed it. She changed it from an F to whatever it was. I, I guess a D, you know, D's get degrees. And she changed it. <laughs> she changed it for me. And they're like, we're not losing him in the office. We need him in here. And I was like, this is amazing. Like, this is great. Like, I didn't, I failed freshman biology. No, I didn't. And it says right there, I barely passed. Like, I got this. I'm in. It was changed. I, I don't know. Like, doesn't matter to me now. I got a master's degree now, so forget all that freshman biology. It doesn't matter. But think about that. You're standing in front of the Lord of Lords. It's way bigger than freshman biology, all right? And he's like, hey. I'll change all those grades, and not just to a D, to an A+. Because if you're judged in Jesus, it's all right. It's great. But if you're being judged by Jesus, then it's really scary because he's going to look at everything you've ever done. And you're, and you're sitting here, and some of us think, well, I'm a good person. Okay. Your spouse, if you're married, knows you better than anyone. But I guarantee there's at least 10% of what goes on in your head you don't tell them. I keep about 5% in my head, and that 5% is messed up. <laughs> like, for real, like, you're not saying every thought you've ever had. You couldn't. You wouldn't work in society. Everyone would hate you. <laughs> like, you can't do that. You can't live your life like that. And if you do, you're like, I don't know. We, we need to talk. We need some counseling. Like, then there's the things you did that no one ever caught you. Like, I was joking with my grandma and a lady named Carol Bean, who some of you know. She's known me since I've been born. And they were talking about, I left my boys home by themselves while we went to the Cardinals game last night. We didn't go home till midnight. They're 13. They're 13. So they're like, yeah, they're old enough. I go, yeah, because when I was 13, I was sneaking out the window and going and running around with my friends. And they're like, you did what? And I was like, yeah, all the time. But here's the deal. I could never tell anyone that. God knows. It's in those books. It's all written down. Every little thing you did that you thought was not a big deal that was still a sin, it's written there. And if you're judged by those, that's a pretty serious thing. And we think, oh, it'll be okay. It won't. It won't be okay. And I think that's so big for us to see that if our name is not written in the book of life, then you're being judged on your works alone, nothing else. When Jeff and I were in Indonesia, we would, there in Bali, we would go and talk to these different Hindus. Predominantly, that's all we talked to was Hindus. And their beliefs are so crazy. I mean, from each person, it's like they just make up whatever they want to believe, and that's what they believe. But the one common theme is this. Well, when I die, my, my good will outweigh my bad, and I'll be reincarnated to something else that's a little bit better, a step up, and then I'll just keep graduating until I'm with God, you know, in heaven. And I'm like, for real? Like, this is, this is what you're, you're banking on, right? Like, that you're doing good. I remember we were sitting with this one guy, he had a really nice house for Indonesia, and he, he made tiles, clay tiles. They were cool looking. And we're sitting there, we're talking to him. He's telling us all that he believes. He's chain smoking the whole time. And then we start to hit him with truth. And this is what Indonesians do. If you hit them with like hard truth, they get real uncomfortable. And they're like, <laughs> well, we'll see. They just start laughing. Like, well, I don't, maybe I'll be judged by my good deeds. I'm like, no. I'm like, and then I'm like asking Thomas, the missionary, like, why, is he, why is he laughing? Like, this isn't funny. Like, I'm trying to tell him he's going to go to hell. He's like, that's what they do. They just laugh. And I'm like, okay, I, I, don't know, I don't know what to do with that. But I'm trying to tell them. But that was their common theme. At one after another, the Hindu priest, 
yeah, I, I do enough good. I, it should all balance out. I'm like, no, you can't bank on your works. And here's the problem is like most people you're going to meet here in the States, not Hindu, but you ask them like, hey, you're going to go to heaven? Yeah, I think I'd go. I'm a good person. They carry the same belief. I, yeah, I'd go. I'm a good person. But they're not. They're not. I'm not either. I, I don't deserve to go. And God is so holy, so righteous that we can't be in his presence with our sin. We can't. Romans 3.23, it tells us we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of his glory. There's no way you're entering heaven based on your own works. And it's not just the sins that you're okay with admitting to in your MC. It's the sins, like I said, that every little thought that no one ever knew. Like that, that's the, the, he knows it all. He's not missed any of it. And so they get judged. Anyone who's not in Christ, they're judged by those books. That's what verse 13 tells us. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, so death is no more. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found in the, written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This should do a few things. One, it should be a reality check to you to say, is my name written in the book of life? Do I really know Christ? Do I really have a relationship with him? And then it should also drive you to go and to share the gospel, to talk to people and say, listen, I love you, and I know that you don't want to hear it, but man, you don't know Christ, and this is the reality. Like, you're going to spend eternity in hell forever. Do you know Jesus? That's where Satan's going. It's where his holy, un unholy trinity is going. And then if you do not know Jesus, that's where you will go. Our works won't cut it. And so I want to ask you, how confident are you that your name is in the book of life? And if you're like, eh, I don't know, then how confident are you in your works? Because I promise you, they're not good enough. They're not good enough. You can surrender to him today. You can put all that away to the person who said, come, give me your load. I'll carry it. All those who are tired and heavy laden, come, I got you. I got this. You don't have to think about that. Living your whole life banking on that you're going to work hard enough to get into heaven. That pressure is unreal. I would not want that on me. And you don't have to have it on you. So today, I'm going to do something a little different as I pray and wrap us up and we do communion. I'm going to stand in the back. I'm going to stand in the back. And if you're here and you're like, man, I, I don't know. I don't know if my, book, my name's in the book of life. I'm not trying to like, do anything weird like some like, old school Southern Baptist altar call. I just, I don't want you leaving here thinking, man, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to be in that, that book of life. I might be judged by my, by my deeds, and that ain't good. Then you can, you can pray, and you can ask God to save you. I can talk to you about it. I had one person come and talk to me last service just like questioning that, wanting to like get clarity on it. That could be you today. Like, don't, don't be ashamed. Like, people are going to be standing, worshiping. They're not going to be looking at you. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to take communion, and you can respond however God's moving in your life. Let me pray. God, I thank you for your word. But I thank you even more, Lord, that you're going to come back someday. You're going to right all wrongs. You're going to bring us in in a way that we cannot even imagine when you just have that marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going to be there. You're going to judge us not based on who we are, but on who you are. God, I pray for anyone in this room, anyone watching online that 
doesn't know you. This, they, they're struggling. They're, they're banking on their own works. God, I pray that you will just woo them into a relationship with you, that you will just convict them of their sins, God, and they'll repent and they'll call out to you and you will save them as your word says that you will do. So God, I pray that we will take what we have read seriously and apply it to our lives in every facet. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you guys want to stand with me as we get ready to take communion, this is what 1 Corinthians 11 says concerning communion. It says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's worship him.